So I'm eating inside of restaurants now. Big news. Ooh. So I, I'm curious. Uh, have you had the situation where someone coughs at a table nearby and those droplets get on your food? Like, do you shield it? Do you huddle over it? I huff it all up like a Hoover vacuum. I just suck it all into Ugh. my lungs. <laughs> breathe really deep. Gross. <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a very slippery slope between <laughs> eating in a restaurant with other people and breathing their air in and just like making out with them sloppily. And I, yeah, I, after a year and a half of this like ridiculousness, I'm ready for all of it. Welcome to Soleil's post-pandemic kissing restaurant. Horny on Main. You heard it here. <laughs> well, with that said, hello, people. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I'm Justin Phillips. And I'm Soleil Ho. I don't know about you, but I am still processing all the messed up crap that was piled onto us this past year and a half. And I can't afford therapy, so I've been cooking a lot <laughs> to work through my feelings. So this week, we're devoting this episode to talking all about food as a love language. Yeah. And you'll hear from some of our friends who have found joy, comfort, and I guess sometimes even anxiety at the thought of having to prepare an actual meal. And we'll meet Susanna Zarewski, a San Jose woman who uses food as a way to stay connected with her father who lives in a nursing home. Every time that he gets food that he knows is from us, it reminds him of us. As pandemic restrictions loosen and the country starts to slowly open up again, we thought it would be a good time to step back and recount the infinite ways we turned to food during the past year and a half. Food and cooking. Before the pandemic, I often enjoyed it. That's my friend, the writer and author, Danny Lavery. You may recognize his voice from the Dear Prudence podcast or when he was our guest on season one of Extra Spicy. He had just moved to New York City a few months before the pandemic started. So I was like, cooking, who needs it? I can just like walk outside into this big, big city and like, really just take advantage of all these restaurants. So I was very like, yeah, the kitchen here is smaller, but like, who cares? What do I need to cook for? I'll put jeans in my oven. Our coworker, Annie Weinstein, also had to learn how to use her oven during the pandemic. I mean, I think I've gotten a lot better at cooking because I've I've had to, but I, I just, I think now almost a year in, I've kind of just been doing like the same things that would have been super elaborate compared to like the kinds of things I was doing before, which was mostly reheating like Trader Joe's frozen food and then like making a salad of three ingredients and like being really exhausted by all the cutting. So I think that I have grown a lot like in that respect and like peeling sweet potatoes and like, you know, zesting things, putting things in the oven that I never knew should go in the oven, looking at places like inspecting parts of the oven that I didn't even know were there. So I feel like it, it, it has been kind of exploratory. And like many of us, both Danny and Annie's relationships with cooking had their ups and downs. You know, I go through cycles, I think. Like I go through cycles where I'm just like, I want to make really complicated soup. I want to, you know, have projects. I want to do meal prep. And then I have times where I'm just like, all I want to do is endlessly scroll through takeout that I don't plan on ordering and get mad at food that I won't be eating, which is a new dysfunctional relationship to food I didn't even know I could have. Currently, I have like a really chaotic um, structure of like eating a lot of Progresso soups and the like, which I'm really embarrassed to say, but like I just really do love the tuna salad cracker things. The tuna thing Annie mentions is Bumblebee's on the run tuna salad snack that comes with crackers. A vending machine at the San Francisco Chronicle headquarters keeps these stocked, and they're allegedly delicious. 
So I'm more of a sweet Maui onion chips girl for the record. I was just gazing at the logo and I was like, what if I got a tattoo of this? Like, I just wonder if anyone has a tattoo of the bumblebee snacks. But I remember being at the office and like really surreptitiously and like shamefully eating the tuna salad snacks when no one was there and feeling like, oh, great. I don't want anyone to come over to my corner because I feel like this is like a disgraceful thing. So I've been like mass ordering those, which is like disturbing because my whole shelf is like that and progresso. And then I'll like pan fry some salmon and feel like a kind of a normal person or like eat gnocchi, which I don't think I even ate before any of this started. So I think it's this sort of like vacillating between, oh, I'm a cook or like, oh no, I'm just like, I have like a truck driver diet. But it hasn't been complete chaos. Danny gets to spend more time cooking with his wife, Grace. It's just the two of us here. We don't have to cook for any children. So there's the added benefit of, you know, we just cook for ourselves. And so that part is really nice. I I really like cooking with my partner. That part has stayed pretty fun, pretty exciting, pretty good. And Annie realized she has a pretty great roommate. My roommate would sometimes like just make breakfast for me or like she'd have, I was working really late and she'd have like dinner that was like ready for me when I'd come back. And in those really tough moments, like it was really, really comforting to like emerge from your room and sort of like smell the sweet potato or like smell the salmon and feel that someone is like caring about you and is noticing you and like wants to just make your day feel like a little bit less stressful and heavy. So I feel like we always talk about pandemic cooking, but you know, so like, you know what the pandemic has done? It's made me a more efficient shopper of groceries. You know what I mean? Like it used to be where I would go into a store and midway, like before the pandemic, change my mind about what I was cooking and then just like mosey down aisles, taking my sweet ass time, just looking at stuff. But during the pandemic, I was always thinking about how long I was out. So now I'll just run in, get what I need and bounce. Like I'm an adult. I've become an adult shopper. Yes, in that way, too, I stopped reading the nutritional labels, which took up a lot of my shopping time. Nice. (laughs) But beyond the anxiety of it, I think, the, like Annie says, the sort of sentimentality that you can transmit through cooking has become really, really important these days. For Susanna Zareski, a writer and documentary filmmaker from San Jose, food has been an integral part of her relationship with her father. So my father had a stroke over five years ago, and he's been in nursing homes for about five years. Her father, Isaac Zareski, is 86 years old. That's Susanna greeting her father in Russian at his nursing home in Saratoga. For 12 months during the pandemic, they were only able to see each other through a glass window. What we would do most of the time is we would take out the food from the bag that we had brought and be like, okay, look, here are the fried potatoes. Okay, here, look at the sausages. French fries. Okay, look at the um, herring salad that we brought. Okay, look, we got this fruit. And so that it was kind of like a fashion show, but a food fashion show so that he would be like entertained by all the foods that we had. When Susanna and her family were restricted to video calls during the height of the pandemic, conversation didn't come as easily. There's none of that discussion of the food, discussion of memories of the food, because he's eating the food at the nursing home when we're not doing the video call. It's like, you know, he can only tell us about it if he remembers. But yeah, when we do the video calls, you know, sometimes we discuss, you know, family things. To be honest, sometimes there's not that much to talk about because 
we're not doing that much these days. It was also hard for Susanna's dad not to be able to see his family in person for 12 months. Well, he kept complaining, you know, saying, hey, take me out of here, take me out of here. And he said, oh, other people leave to visit their family. And I'm like, no, dad, the people who leave are usually the ones that go to the hospital and they may never come back. But he didn't understand that some of these people were leaving to go to the hospital because they were dying of COVID or they had some, something else. And we had to keep reminding him like, no, dad, the restrictions are so strict that we can't visit you. We can't take you anywhere. So he was really lonely. And because of his memory issues, it was hard for him to remember why we couldn't visit him in person. He still felt like he was being ignored or abandoned. In the many months that Susanna and her family weren't allowed to visit Isaac at the nursing home, they instead dropped off weekly deliveries of homemade food. That's her and her mom, talking about which containers to use for Isaac's meals. It takes Susanna about two hours to prepare one delivery of food for her father every week. We have multiple things that we have to think about when we're we're preparing the food because he has a hand tremor in his dominant right hand. That was before the, the stroke. And then since his stroke, his left hand got weak. So he has trouble feeding himself unless it's like a little piece of a sandwich or something he can put in his hands. Without in-person visits, Susanna also lost the ability to feed her father by hand. We connected to him, not just through conversation before the pandemic, but also by feeding him. And as most nursing homes, they're, they're understaffed. They don't have time for people to be quietly sitting there for a long time feeding people. So Susanna and her family had to come up with meals that would be easy for Isaac to eat by himself. Instead of bringing soups and things that were liquid, we would bring, like, for example, Russian turnovers, piroshki, cut them into little pieces or blintzes filled with meat or filled with cottage cheese, also cut into pieces. And we had to make sure the pieces weren't too small that they would fall out of his hands and not too big that he couldn't chew them because he doesn't have a full set of teeth. Putting together these meal packages for her father during the pandemic has meant everything for their relationship. Because every time that he gets food that he knows is from us, He knows who made it. He knows that we sat in the kitchen for I don't know how many hours preparing it. It reminds him of us. And even even though if he's not talking to us, he knows, oh, this is what my sister made or this is what my granddaughter made. It's a way of hugging him, of kissing him, but just not in the real way we can do it. And then for us as well, like through all that preparation process, we're thinking about what is he going to like and what can he eat? It's a very strange way of connecting with somebody, but I rather have this kind of connection with him than nothing or just having video calls because video calls, we're doing video calls all the time. You know, we're spending our time on Zoom, but actually physically doing something for somebody else is so rare these days. It's a gift that I even have this opportunity. You are listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support the podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Justin Phillips, and we're back. Susanna's family has a history of delivering food during times of crisis. Both of her parents grew up in the former Soviet Union during World War II. Her mother's family survived the siege of Leningrad by smuggling and delivering food to each other from a hospital where her grandfather worked. And it was thanks to those extra food rations that Her family, like she and her parents, survived the blockade. They didn't die of starvation, whereas other people did because there was no food. And 
some people were so weak because they were starving, they couldn't even go outside in the snow and walk across the city to, to get food. World War II devastated the Soviet Union. And decades later, the Soviet food supply was still limited. People would go years without ever seeing a banana because obviously bananas don't grow in the former Soviet Union. It's too cold. So if the Soviet Union had a good relationship with some country in Africa, then suddenly bananas would show up on the market. Susanna's father and mother, who are both Jewish, met in the 1970s and experienced a lot of anti-Semitism in the former Soviet Union. Together, they escaped to the United States in 1980, where they eventually ended up in San Jose, California. And, you know, when we first came to the U.S., you know, my parents were many times unemployed or, you know, earning very little money. So we ate, you know, very basic foods, like didn't go to restaurants. Even going to like a fast food restaurant was like a big deal. You know, that was that was a treat. And I do remember, you know, my parents never wanted to waste food. You know, like, oh, if you didn't finish rice, then that would be recycled into a soup. Things would somehow be recycled in some way. And, you know, my parents grew up during World War II. So they remember, you know, having very little food. Fast forward to the coronavirus pandemic. Susanna's family aren't experiencing the same food shortages that they went through in the former Soviet Union. But they do have to worry about the health of Susanna's dad. Getting that food from our family is, is like a continuation of having food during times of shortages and how important it is and how you know that that person took time to bring that food or to prepare that food. In January 2021, despite all of the nursing home's restrictions and precautions, Susanna's dad was diagnosed with COVID-19. He had a really bad case of delusion uh, because of COVID, and he was in the hospital, and we thought he was going to die. So the, the fear was real. I mean, I saw the statistics about what was happening in this country and other countries, especially in Europe, all those old people who died in the nursing homes. And we knew that the staff in the nursing home, you know, could be bringing the, the virus into the facility. And not everybody in the facility, or not all the staff wanted to get vaccinated, which is their choice, which means that unintentionally they could be bringing the virus in. And the part that worried her the most? My father was going to die in the hospital and we weren't going to be able to say goodbye to him. We weren't going to be able to hold his hand. The hospital was allowing end-of-life visits, but it was on a very specific case-to-case basis. And we probably would have been wearing so much protective equipment, you know, mask, face shield, and the whole spacesuit type of thing that the doctors wear, my father might not have even recognized us. According to an April 2021 report by the New York Times, one third of all coronavirus deaths in the United States have been linked to nursing homes, killing at least 182,000 residents and employees of nursing homes and other long-term care facilities for older adults. That's why I think it's important people take this pandemic seriously, because people who are dying of COVID are not given dignity in their death. They're robbed of their dignity because they're alone. Thankfully, Susanna's father survived his illness. She and her family were able to visit Isaac in person for the first time on March 19th. When we went to visit him, we showed him the food that we brought. We're like, look, in this container, we have smoked salmon on bread and we have linces. In this container, we have these berries that you like. In this container, we have cheese. And he wanted to eat the cheese like right there when we were with him. So... We were happy that we could connect with him in that way. In the 12 months Susanna was unable to visit her father, she and her family were still able to find ways to materially connect with Isaac. But Susanna says many isolated nursing home residents did not receive the same level of care. I'm actually surprised when I do go to the nursing home and bring food that I don't see a lot of other families bringing food packages. I mean, maybe they show up at a different time of the day and I just don't see them. But over the last 11 months, 
I very rarely have seen anybody bring food packages, which I find to be quite strange because for me, food is such a natural way to connect with people. Like it, it's just another language. It's another form of communication. Like, you know, people communicate through song, people communicate through dance, people communicate through art, you can also communicate through food. I just want to add a little note because I also had a, I had a similar experience when my grandfather was put into hospice care at home. The last things he wanted in life really were ice cream, durian, and mangoes. And for my family, getting him those things was our MO for the last three weeks. Um, and so I, I understand where she's coming from a lot. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed hearing these stories. It's hard to put a pin on something that's still happening and that we're still kind of grieving. But I appreciate what our coworker Annie has to say about what the pandemic has been like for her. You heard from her earlier. She's the one whose housemate cooked for her. I mean, there's a lot to grieve. I think beyond like the fact that, you know, I can't really hug my family or I'm so thankful to be close to them and to be in their presence. But I used to spend a lot of time like outdoors, like seeing people's faces. I really do miss that experience of just like being on the bus and noticing people and like looking at them going about their days and being like kind of crammed together and like these sort of, you kind of intake all of this like emotional information of like people's conversations and people's facial expressions and their body language and their movements and, 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 and what are the things that they would be talking about and like worrying about and sad about. And I, that was really like, I found that really kind of socially nourishing, like not even necessarily seeing people and gathering, which I miss so much, but like being in the presence of other people um, in a really kind of intimate, but dense way, those kinds of more visceral like connections. Yeah, I think that that's something I miss a lot. So before we go, I want to circle back onto the indoor dining thing, because <laughs> there is an element of stupidity with it that I want to highlight for this. <laughs> what is this nonsense segment? What? What is what is this? What is this nonsense? You know, it's up to us to not screw this up for everyone. Us being meaning diners who hopefully aren't lying about their vaccination status or hopefully putting right. their masks on in the presence of workers. It's a massive trust exercise. And I when I was writing it, honestly, I felt like a total dipshit idiot. <laughs> Why? Why? Because <laughs> I'm I can't even do like the most basic trust exercise. Right, right. You know, like when you were a kid and you had to fall backwards and have people catch you. Like, I couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. No way. Now, I don't know if part of my distrust is because I had two older brothers and <laughs> I always felt like somebody was going to sabotage me. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like, whether it was my brothers or any stranger, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't trust it. Like this, I would. Yeah, I, I am not a trust exercise person. Damn, that's weird to admit out loud. Yeah, right? I was always looking back at everyone else. And I was just like, you know what? Forget it. I don't, I'm, I'm just going to sit down and read. Screw this. <laughs> Fall, falling backwards with your fist balled up just in <laughs> case you got to get up and punch somebody. Oh, yeah. I feel like we were both like Arthur the Aardvark when we were kids. So to expect people to be trustworthy of, you know, handling indoor dining as like adults and like people who want the world to get better. I don't know. I mean, I want to believe. I want to believe. I am putting myself in the 
simp seat and I am Mulder from the X-Files and I just like, <laughs> I'm just hoping that aliens are real in this case. That's a really horrible stack of metaphors. I'm so sorry. Well, let me ask you this. It had to be exciting and especially the first time that it was enjoyable eating indoors. Like, how was that? I mean, I'm sure you missed that excitement. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a lot chiller than I thought. You mm. know what I mean? And it didn't feel bad or weird. And I think really the the concrete impact of being fully vaccinated is that you can let go of some of that anxiety. And that part is, is great. It is tastier than any fancy steak. <laughs> Thanks again to Susanna Zarezki, Annie Weinstein, and Danny Lavery for being in conversation with us. And to Erica Carlos for reporting and producing this episode. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, please share it with a friend and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you may have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. Thanks for listening. 